Welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Um, in this episode, I want to talk to you about Lost Legacy by Heinlein. It was published in November 1941 in Super Science Stories. So this is one of a handful of stories he wrote in 1941 that weren't published in um, in Astounding. Um, I Did we cover the one, other one that wasn't? I think there's two. Um, but anyways, Super Science Stories. So... Uh, I'm not quite sure. I was actually looking for like a formal definition of what super science stories mean. I've read a handful of them and they tend to be kind of uh, like pushing the limits of science out beyond. It's not hard science fiction. I guess that's one way to, to you can kind of describe it in part by what it's not. It's not hard science fiction, which you're grounded by the rules of science as it as it kind of appears around us. Um, Instead, you're allowed to play kind of fast and loose with those those rules um, and and be a little bit more speculative, which allows for a lot of more transhumanist kind of uh, speculations. <clears throat> so, of course, now you have transhumanism that's more firmly in hard science fiction. But at the time, uh, it wouldn't have been right. So uh, stories about really pushing the boundaries of humanity through technology seems to be a, f a function of the super science story. Um, and that's sort of what we have here in Lost Legacy, although it's, it's really uh, not like it doesn't play with tech so much. It's more about like what are the limits of humanity um, and what are the, the boundaries of, of human achievement and potential. And anyways, that's kind of that's my understanding of what super science is. I don't know if it's a firm genre or subgenre of science fiction. It, as much as it's just like what was being published in this in journals called super science magazines um but the ones i've read from super science stories feel this way to me so i'll let someone who knows more maybe uh fill in fill in some of my knowledge about that but anyways this is a pretty good story it's, it's actually a novella it's uh about 100 pages in the version i printed out um 13 chapters so it's a significant work. I think it was just published in one issue, so it must have been a big chunk of that issue. Um, and anyway, so we have here, we kind of have like a, a Ghostbuster situation where we have like three uh, scientists who are exploring in various ways the paranormal or, or, or the, you know, human, uh, unnat like, un like unnatural is the wrong word for this story, but human capacities that are beyond the norm. Right. Um, we have a graduate student. Um, we have um, whose name is Joan, because I'm reading Joan of Arc by Mark Twain at the same time as this. And, and so um, I was struck by that. She's a graduate student who uh, is like their first experimental case in trying to unlock certain kind of atrophied human capacities. Then we have a, a guy named Philip Huxley, who is a psychiatrist or psychologist. And then we have this, uh, was it Ben Cobham, who is a, uh, a surgeon. And we're introduced in the first chapter to the idea that some human beings seem to have certain abilities, ESP, telepathy, um, 
you know, the ability to fly, the ability, you know, and, and these run the gamut. So they have a lot of interesting conversations about there's always these humans who can do things that to us seem supernatural, whether it's like able to do math in their head, right? Idiot savantism, I guess, exists, but it has so many different um, applications. There's so many different types of it. There are musical geniuses, linguistic geniuses, uh, mathematical geniuses, uh, artistic geniuses, genius. There's actually a chapter here called like every man his own genius. All right. And every one of us has something we're really good at. Right. None of us are completely incompetent in everything. Everyone has something to contribute, even if the market doesn't value it. So we all have some capacity for genius. But even if you just look at like almost where things seem to verge on superpowers. Right. There are many people that have these capacities. Um, but why doesn't everyone have them, right? If it's if the brain can do this, why can't all of us be taught how to do this, right? If some people can do the calculator math in their brain uh, and solve, you know, like multiply twenty-digit numbers by each other in their head, you know, if if some people can do that, why can't all of us learn to do that? Why isn't it a learned skill, um, or is it some kind of malfunction in the brain or something wrong with them? So we have a guy here who's named Juan Valdez, don't laugh. Um, I don't. I think that must be before the marketing campaign of the Colombian coffee, if you remember from back from the 80s. Um, but he has a, he's able to like see beyond things. He essentially has ESP. So he can cheat at cards because he can see what the other people have. He can see the other side of things. But then he gets in a car wreck and the surgeon has to do a surgery on his brain. And the result of this is part of his brain has to be cut out for him to survive but then he loses that ability. So the idea is it's, it's not just a learned, it's actually in the brain, right? And it's in a part of the brain that doesn't seem to have a use, doesn't seem to have a function. So the answer is like, the question these scientists ask is like, well then maybe we all just have access to this. We just turned it off. It's like part of our brain we've turned off, right? And this is not a, uh, certainly a new idea to us. If you've seen like, there's been plenty of science fiction written about this kind of idea that we're only using like 10% of our brain or whatever. That's, that's the, the idea here. Um, or there's a lot of brain, the part of the brain, we don't understand its function. We don't, people lose part of their brain and they still can live their life relatively normally. Um, how is this, what does this tell us about like where human capacity is in the brain? So then uh, then we kind of, after this is set up, we have conversations between these, it's called Three Blind Mice, and the chapter two is Three Blind Mice, and the three of them basically sit around and have a conversation about this. And the question is like, well, you have people in India who can walk on fire, and you have all those prodigies and all those idiot savants. Is that the right politically correct term? It doesn't sound like it, but you, the savant, you have savantism. And then you have... Uh, you know, reports of people who can levitate or people who can do magic or people who can do other things that seem to be on normal human capacity. And the argument here is that there must be, there must be some f fire with the smoke of all this, right? It's, it's enough evidence that something is going on, that the humans aren't as limited as we thought, that we're just on the, we're just not, we lost access to that, right? And so the question, the question is, well, what's happened? So was this something we used to have access to? Like, this is actually 
the, the, the train of thought that Heinlein is going at here. And it, it, it's quite solid. And I don't know anything about brain science to, to prove this right or wrong, but the idea, you know, it tracks for me. It's like, if someone can do this stuff, it must be because of something we have in our brain that allows us to do that. And that must be there through an evolutionary process, right? If some people can compute the math in their brain, that must be because they, they there's something in their brain that lets them do that. And that must have come through a process of evolution. So humans must be able to do that in the past. What that means, I mean, before math, before multiplication is even invented, what is that ability? That person who can do that math, if you were to put him in, um, in a Paleolithic environment, born in that context, what would those abilities have meant? Right. So there's that kind of question I have, or is it just these are products of the world we live in and, and, and our surroundings? Who knows? But the idea here essentially is that at some point earlier in human history, people had all these. And then after some catastrophe, I'm kind of they, they kind of worked this out and, and they kind of jumped to some conclusions to get there. But at some point, there was some catastrophe that that entered into kind of a dark age of sorts where mental capacities get just turned off because they're not being used and then the question is like how can, can we get this back if it's just a matter of turning that on how do we do that and that's where the experiments which jones come in and i think that's chapter three every man is own genius and they start to you know train joan to do things so one thing they do is they he plays a game of solitaire then shuffles the cards shows her the cards fans them out so she sees all 20 52 cards and then she will say, predict how this game of solitaire will end. And then he plays the game of solitaire. And what do you know? It's exactly as she said, you know, hearts up to four, spades up to three, no clubs, whatever. Right. You, you know how to play that regular Klondike solitaire like it's on the computer. But she knows the result just by looking at the fan of the cards. Or um, he does things like they do things like where they just shuffle things in the desks. And then she tells what's in one shelf. Right, she's able to do that. So she's able to demonstrate certain interior capacities. Eventually, she's able to see without with her eyes closed. And there's even a, a moment where she's like driving with her eyes closed because she can see with her mind, uh, like a third eye almost. These are uh, different abilities that are unlocked with her, and they they start to promote this in their classes and in their teaching, thinking, well, why can't we venture out and make this? A more you know be evangelicals with this like why can't we turn on this switch for everyone and essentially they get uh i forget which one it is i think it's philip huxley who uh he gets essentially fired from his job for this or put on administrative leave um for kind of teaching bad science to his kids to his students and so they decide to take this road trip um together just to kind of work it out and talk about it and kind of see what do we do from here and where they go to is mount shasta which is like in california um it's like an old volcanic place i don't, I don't know never been there but they go to this mount shasta and they start to observe and they and here's where the story gets a little wild i like i'm i do like this story 
and I'm certainly on board with the early part of it. I think it's a really fascinating idea, and it certainly fits with some of the themes of Heinlein that we've been talking about, like how humans evolve together, but in this case, we sort of de-evolve together, right? Um, now, some people hold out their capacities, as we'll see, and it can be turned on, but most people have forgotten this. Most people are, it's that old cliche, you're only using 10% of your brain kind of thing. Um, but the story gets a little wild and really kind of super sciencey at this point because they go to Mount Shasta and they go into this elaborate cave and in the caves they find like ancient libraries and, and weird stuff and like old explorers have been hanging out there um, and eventually they meet like Ambrose Bierce. So if you don't know the story of Ambrose Bierce, at some point I'll have to do a podcast series on Ambrose Bierce's writing. It's certainly on my, my list of things I want to do someday. Um, because the Library of America has an edition of, of his works. When are they going to do Heinlein? I wonder. Well, good thing they didn't, because this allows me to do the whole read through. If the Library of America would have done Heinlein, I would probably would have just read what they collected, and I imagine they would have just collected a few few novels. But anyways, I bet you that states involved with them, Library of America, not getting the rights to, to Heinlein. And anyways, um. Ambrose Bierce. The story of Ambrose Bierce is he's someone who vanished. That's why he's chosen here. He's one of a handful of hist famous historical figures who just sort of vanished. I think it was like before World War One, he, he disappeared. Um, and he's, it turns out he's living in this cave, right? And he's one of the people who have been able to turn on that switch. And other people in history have two. Mark Twain uh, is one that's repeated often. Uh, I think you, it's hinted like Buddha, Socrates, all the axial age sort of figures. There, there's a list of people, uh, famous writers, artists, philosophers, and thinkers uh, tend to be the ones who are in this kind of secret club of people with, with these superpowers. But they don't like reveal themselves to the rest. Now they have all kinds of powers, like they can heal wounds. One of the characters breaks his leg and wakes up the next day and is healed. They're able to impart dreams into people that convey knowledge, basically give people lucid dreams. They're able to fly. They're able to do all sorts of, of abilities. Right? This is the lost legacy. This is where the title comes from. This is the lost legacy of humanity that has given to us through evolution. Right? And that's why I say the story gets a little wild at this point because it's like Abraham Lincoln... Mark Twain and Socrates were all like in the same secret cult, um, you know, of course, not at the same time, but it's, you know, they're living up in this mountain or whatever at times teaching each other how to fly and how to read minds and, 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 and talk to people through dreams and all this. Yeah, it's, I think that's where this really becomes like a weird super sciencey story, but it, it's pretty good fun. Um, now, our heroes, our three characters, decide to hang out um, at the mountain for uh, to learn things. To be trained. To be trained in the ways of the masters. And they do. They, they learn to fly. They learn to read minds. They, they get all the abilities and are basically brought into the club. Given secret knowledge about the history they, through dreams. They, they have access to all the books. They're at... Uh, Kamataj or whatever, right? Like Doctor Strange, and they're they're doing their mastery. They they master it, but then they decide they have to go 
be evangelicals, which is something none of these other people seem too interested in. They're like, well, it's not yet time to reveal ourselves. People aren't ready. Humanity's stupid. And more so, we're told that there is, and here's again where the story kind of gets a little wild, is that there's an active evil conspiracy against this. So their conspiracy of the good guys is confronted by a conspiracy of bad people represented by whatever conspiratorial bugaboo you want to throw in there like the media or, or the, uh, the the politicians and uh, you know the bankers educators school boards He's, there's a lot about school boards here being kind of on the wrong side of history covering up young people's true potential and teaching them just stupid shit that they're never going to have to need that's true obviously but but it's not to to cover up our lost legacy of being supermen of, of, of being like yeah some kind of superhero anyways that's another way uh, but that, it's kind of fun in the story actually though it's like it's like we can't reveal ourselves because you know everyone they control the media it gets it becomes kind of conspiracy theory stuff uh towards the end of the story but you know take it or leave it it's this is a one-off story anyways. It's not like the kind of story you're going to want to go back to and study again and again. It's just, it's a Heinlein story that's worth reading, worth checking out. It's got some fun ideas, but they're not ideas that we haven't heard before. Not, in fact, like I said before, it's a cliche. Humans only use 10% of your brain. It's not, it doesn't tell us anything, right? No one's developed these superpowers. So, you know, there's another explanation for savantism. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's not this. But it's a fun story, um, in spite of all that. All right, back to the plot here. Um, they eventually get they they talk the masters. Who's the the leader of the cult? Um, it's not it's not Ambrose Bierce. It's some what's what's the guy's name again? Ephraim Howe. Um, oh, by the way, his 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 rise to leadership. He's like the first. He there's like a weird merit meritocratic democracy kind of thing where people just choose the best to be the leader which is certainly how what Heinlein thinks is probably the best way to have government like a, a type of meritocracy but even here you have kind of a collective and something uh, people becoming like evolving together and de-evolving together I talked about this with Methuselah's children um, and, I, and I think that's something that's on his mind here but anyways, they eventually get permission from this Ephraim Howe guy to go out there, go back, and and spread this knowledge to others because it's just a matter of turning on the switch for many others. And they, they, they try to do it through schooling. They try to do it through education. They try to, in various ways, they try it through public um, evangelism of sorts. And they just get, like, oppressed by the police. The, 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 the cops just say, uh, we're going to shut you down, we're going to arrest you, all that kind of crap. So they they find they decide they're going to need another way to go about this, and so the solution they 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 run to is kind of a little bit creepy from I guess our standpoint. I don't think it would have been from Heinlein's, um, but given the scandals about youth movements and youth in churches and the Boy Scouts and all that, it comes off a little bit creepy. But but essentially they're like, we'll we'll infiltrate the Boy Scouts, and 
get all these boys to go to a camp together and then we'll we'll teach them the secrets all right so it certainly you're you're it's okay to be a little creeped out by the way this is presented but you got to put it in this historical context that this is before there was anxiety about uh this kind of stuff um but basically that's what happens they they get funding they they actually pass a start this movement through legislative channels. It's another interesting little side story about how they're able to outflank the school boards by getting a federal law that kind of empowers this movement and gives it money. And the idea is they're all going to go to Mount Shasta, thousands of boys, flip their switches on, teach them their abilities, and then send them back. And then they're going to teach their parents, and because everyone has telepathy at this point, or at least enough people have telepathy that will be able to spread. And other people will get their telepathy turned on, and it'll be spread like a like a virus, and eventually all humanity will will have this. And they do that. This works out. Um, but towards the end of the book, we get a nice little fun scene where like the evil conspiracy is personified by this monstrous, demonic, creepy old guy kind of figure, who's you know. And then there's like a sort of a battle for between good and evil at the end good wins out uh and then the final chapter you sh and the truth shall make you free is fast forward into the future where humanity has evolved either off earth or to not need bodies to energy beings kind of like the end of babylon 5 something like that but humans aren't on earth anymore man is gone his house is stand empty the door open and then you have monkeys or great apes i should say who begin their evolutionary process. Um, so that's the story. It's um, it's pretty good. It's not one I'm going to return to, I think. Um, I got really drawn into the story by the by the superpowers things. Like in, in how do these exist in some people, not potentially in everyone? Is it something we can learn? Is it something we can turn on? Is it something that we've just lost because we don't practice those muscles? Right. Obviously, any of us given the right motivation can be a baseball player. Right. If we get the right training and skills. And to me, being a hitting a fastball is essentially a superpower. But plenty of people can do it and are taught how to do it. And they all were kids at one point and they couldn't. It's a learned ability, foreign languages, musical abilities, singing. Almost everything can be learned, but we don't. Most of us don't learn it because we're not. We don't spend the time and effort to do it. So the idea that that's uh, something that can be unlocked in everyone to some degree. We all can be better than we are, right? Maybe we can't all have, we're not going to be able to fly. We're not going to be able to be telepaths. But there's a lot we don't, we, a lot of abilities we let be squandered. And I think Heinlein is certainly anxious about that. And, and, and in the story, he's kind of encouraged us at the very least you know, try to improve yourself in various ways. I, I think that's a decent lesson. And it's not, obviously there are materialist reasons why it's hard, you know, because of work, poverty, inequality, all that's true. But, um, but yeah, I think the lesson here is, you know, there's no reason not to try to become good at certain things if, if, you, if you have the ability. There's no reason not to have on we about it, um, and and just be fatalistic. But that said, it it's 
you know, there are, I do understand there are good reasons why we don't want to blame the victims. That's, I'm not trying to do that. But I do think there's little ways that we all can, like, be, try to be better at the things that give us pleasure and make us happy. Um, try, I don't know. Am I being corrupted by Heinlein? Is Heinlein's ideas getting sucked into my brain and uh, in infecting me? Maybe. Um, but I don't know. I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, I think it's something we should, you know, we should have the material conditions that make people, give people the possibilities to achieve greatness and what they want to be great in. Yeah, how about that? That's that's where I'll, I'll I'll end up on that. The story, Lost Legacy, it's just a lot of fun, and I was never bored by it. I I do think it's probably missable, but you know it's it's not like future history. It's not one of the astounding stories, but I liked it, and um, if you can get a hold of it. I, I encourage you to check it out. So um, it's probably not that important to say too much more about, though. But uh, some fun ideas. It would make a good Outer Limits episode or something like that. So uh, that's it for now. So I guess now I will uh, jump into sixth column. I think I don't know if I'm going to do three episodes for it. I I'll, I'll have to read more of it before I decide. Um, I thought maybe three episodes for Methuselah's Children ended up being a little repetitive and, and obnoxious. So I'll decide once I jump into this if it's going to be two or three. Maybe it is three issues in Astounding. But I think I might try to do it in two episodes just to, to save airtime. So, uh, but anyways, definitely the first part of my coverage of Sixth Column will be coming up shortly. So uh, anyways, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>